Hebrews chapter 7. If you're joining us through Facebook Live, podcast, or YouTube, we certainly are happy you're with us tonight and pray the Lord blesses you during our Bible study. So it's been about a month since we last looked in Hebrews and I feel like we need to warm up our engines a little bit again uh, since it's Hebrews is a very subject-oriented book, and there's only 13 chapters in Hebrews, and we're about halfway. So I thought this would be a good time to kind of look back just briefly for a little while, and then uh, come back into some of new verses that, that we've not seen in Hebrews chapter 7. We, we last left off in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4. And if you read there with me, Hebrews chapter 7... Verse 4, it says, Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And I got to thinking, you know, that really sets the tone uh, for what we have been seeing in Hebrews, is he is persuading them to consider, now here he's talking about Melchizedek being great, but all of Hebrews is talking to the Hebrews. It's for the Hebrews. It's, we, we see it, uh, we can use it ourselves. Um, but it was written to the Hebrews. And the main thrust is consider how great Jesus Christ is. Consider how great Christ is. Um, one of the, the things I was also thinking... Now, with Hebrews, it was written to the Jews there in Jerusalem. And if you didn't have the New Testament, and the Lord tasked you with writing to the Hebrews in Jerusalem, how would you write it? How would you write about Jesus Christ using the Old Testament scriptures? Not just the scriptures, but their way of life, the, the Judaism and the fact that there was still a temple, there was still a priest, there, was, there still was sacrifices and everything that was happening in Jerusalem. Um, how would you write it? Well, if you remember in Acts, we followed Paul. And before he went to the Gentiles, we know Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. He always went to the synagogues first, wherever village or town he found himself. And we see that he went into the synagogues. And there he opened up the scriptures and reasoned with them about Jesus being the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's been raised again from the dead. This is the Davidic king. This is the, the prophetic Messiah. And he would go and prove them and convince them through the Old Testament scriptures. And so I always think of the book of Hebrews being one of those sermons. I mean... It is one of the most important books in the New Testament when you think about us seeing how the New Testament has replaced the Old Testament. And so it is a letter to the Jews. Now we know that they were uh, some believers and there were some who were not believers. But what they were having a, a problem with was you got to remember this was really early. I mean, this letter was written between 40 and 65 A.D. I mean, the church was, was just new. I mean, this was after the day of Pentecost, but it wasn't soon after the day of Pentecost. This letter was written to the Hebrews there. And it's the Hebrew Christians, but what was happening, there was a tendency for 
them to be persecuted and there were pressure on them uh, to go back into the Mosaic law, to go back into the system of the Mosaic law. Now, this letter is more or less an ultimatum saying, look, it's not Moses plus Jesus. It's not grace plus the law. It's one or the other. You, you, you cannot have both. You can't have no, nothing with Jesus. You supplant it or you supply it. Or uh, there's nothing that should accommodate the work of Jesus. And so it's get on or get off. Because the, Christ has replaced the things of the Old Testament. He's replaced all those. And so out throughout Hebrews, we've seen that, haven't we? So he is going on in the author. You know, I, some think it's Paul. I, I have a tendency to think it's Paul just because of some of the phrases we see. Um, Hebrews is one of the most elegant pieces of Greek literature that exists on the planet. And all the Greek scholars, it just pops out the the book of Hebrews. Now, that's why some people are like, well, Paul probably didn't write it because it's not in the same style of Greek that Paul wrote his other books. Well, Paul didn't write all of his other books. He had what was called an amanuensis. He had somebody who would dictate and write what Paul was saying. And that's why some people think that Paul had bad eyesight or that was a thorn in his flesh. So Paul would speak and then there would be an amanuensis. Uh, if, it's, if it's not Paul, I, I feel like it is heavily influenced by Paul. Now, we know the Lord's the author. But the human author, I believe, could be Paul who had an amanuensis. Now, if you uh, someone who was writing down what Paul said. And a lot of people think it might be Apollos, who was a Greek from Alexandria. Alexandria was a very renowned, world-renowned Greek scholarly city. And so it could be Apollos, Apollos is Greek, or it could be Priscilla and Aquila. So, but I continue to say the writer of Hebrews, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who the human author was. We know the Lord is the author. It's inspired. It's God-breathed. It's without error. And uh, it's inerrant. So we can read it with all confidence and trust. So as Paul, or whoever the, the writer of the Hebrews is, he's writing to them, look just how much better Jesus is. So he systematically goes through. Now, back to the question, how would you write a letter to the Hebrews about Jesus being the Messiah? Well, I feel like I would probably throw in some Isaiah. Uh, you think about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, how the Ethiopian eunuch was there. And uh, at Isaiah, you may do Isaiah 53, Isaiah 55. But Paul, uh, the writer of the Hebrews is saying he's so much better than anything that you are tempted to go back into the Mosaic system and the laws. So here we see him uh, use the word better. And if you start looking at the theme of Hebrews, the word better happens 13 times. The, that word is used the most in Hebrews in any other uh, book. It is used 13 times, and also the, the word, let us. Let us, therefore, do this. Now, uh, I thought D.A. Carson had, had a, a really good observation about this better. 
he uses the comparative. So if Jesus is better than the angels, Jesus is better than Aaron, Jesus is better than Moses, better than Joshua, he has the better covenant, he has the better sacrifice, he's the better high priest, he has the better sanctuary. So if you notice, he itemizes, the Hebrews itemizes the Jews' lifestyle of their daily walk in the, the Mosaic system or the, the Judaism, everything they're going through, uh, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, Jesus is better than all these because he's fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled all these types in the Old Testament. He is the penultimate. He's the, he is the, uh, the last and final word and revelation of God. It all points to Jesus Christ. And so the comparative of better is used, and I think I've made this point before. It's interesting how he didn't use the superlative best. You know, he could have, I mean, if, if we open up Hebrews and says Jesus is the best, and that's all it says, well, yeah, I mean, we, we would agree with that. And, uh, but in a systematic way, he says, no, Jesus is better than all of these things, all of the old Mosaic system and in the law and the priest and everything that God had set up in the Mosaic economy. Jesus is better. He's the fulfillment. He's the, you know, think about the priesthood of of, of Aaron, how it was temporary and that it didn't satisfy the wrath of God. It didn't appease God. I mean, it was year after year they had to go in and go in. And well, Jesus, he, the, all of that pictured Jesus and was all accomplished in Jesus. And once for all, he made the sacrifice. So Jesus is better than those things. So we don't need and it, it, the temple today. We, we don't need the sacrifices today. We don't need any of those things because Jesus has already came, accomplished, and we look to him. We don't look back. It's kind of like the, the old adage, the, when the sun comes up, the stars go away. When the new covenant came up, the old covenant goes away. And so all of it's pictured and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. We, we will be going over the outline a little bit. Uh, here in a little bit, we will. But if you look at the theme of Hebrews, Jesus is better. It's an argument. It, it's the ultimatum. It's, it's get on or get off. You know, trust in the Lord only. Only him. Christ alone. Not Christ plus Moses. Not Christ plus circumcision. Not Christ plus all of the old things that pictured Christ. Jesus is better. Thirteen times. So you can almost say that's the theme. And because Jesus is better, let us therefore do this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us therefore um, do all of, uh, let us have faith. Let us, you know, put aside the, the weights that easily beset us. Now, as we're in Hebrews chapter 1, I also wanted to mention another reason why uh, a lot of people think it might be Paul because the first half of Hebrews is doctrinal. Uh, that is the, the doctrinal of, of the better. The second half of Hebrews is practical. Because Jesus is better, in chapter 10 starting to chapter 13, that's the faith aspect of it. Because Jesus, because of his person, because of his work, we can have full faith and trust and assurance in him alone. Uh, not adding things to him. 
But in verses 1 through 3 of Hebrews, that it's, it's a beautiful introduction to the rest of the book. So God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's a perfect summary, those first three verses. Now think about this letter. Would you? I mean, this is a pretty impactful introduction uh, to the Hebrews about Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's final word. Jesus is God's final revelation. Like I said, he is the final and the penultimate. He's the revelation. He's the word of God. He, he is the son of God. He is God the son. He is the creator of all things in verse 2. He's the sustainer of all things. And in verse 3, and, and, and you know what's, what's interesting, it's like a seed uh, that'll go out. And the words that we're reading in these first three verses, you're going to see it spread into the rest of Hebrews. Uh, it talks about Jesus as the creator. It talks about Jesus being the last one who shall stand upon the earth. And the, God did not give the world to the angels to be subject to. He gave it to Christ, his son. Originally, it was man. Originally, the first Adam. Uh, was to, to have dominion over the earth, but he lost his glory when he sinned. And then the second Adam came. And so uh, then it talks about, uh, he's the appointed, he's the creator of all things. In verse, at the end of verse 2, he made all the world. Verse 3, he's the brightness, he's the effulgence, he's the radiance of God's glory. Remember that what it said in John, that we, we saw him, grace and truth and the glory uh, of his person. In verse 3, he's the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, Jesus is our atonement. He is our sacrificial lamb. He is the better sacrifice for sins. And then he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He continually liveth to make intercession for us as our great high priest. And so he has sat down in the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, and there he is in his presence, and there until he returns back for us. So we see these first three verses are very uh, summary oriented. In verse 4, he goes on to talk about how Jesus is better than the angels. Now, some may think, well, why would the Jews need to be convinced that Jesus is better than the angels? I mean, was there a lot of angel worship and things like that? And there was some angel worship, but the point of him bringing up the angels is the fact that the angels were the ones that gave the law to Moses. Uh, the angels were mediators of the law. Now, we know it was God who handed Moses the law through the angels, but to the Jews, the angels were very important beings. You know, um, now think about it. If you don't believe Jesus is the Christ, the angels are up there, you know, as far as high importance. Um, so it was the law that the angels gave, to, or the angels gave Moses the law. They, they mediated the old covenant 
Not that they had any input in the law. They had nothing to do with that. They just, they were messengers of the law to Moses. So Jesus is the better mediator than the, than the angels. Anything you put in the place of Jesus Christ or before Jesus Christ, it's not me that goes to a man and the man goes to Christ. We go straight to Christ. So there is no mediator other than Jesus Christ. There, there's none. Uh, so there's no earthly mediators. The, there's no angels that are going to mediate. There's none of those things. Our access to God is only through Jesus Christ. And if you want access to God, it's only through Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man, and the man Christ Jesus. So that's what he, he's talking about is Jesus is better than the angels. Now also, a key verse in chapter 1 is verse 8. Here we see Jesus' deity. I mean, this is one of the big verses of the Bible that uh, clearly proves the deity of Jesus Christ. He says, But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. So that verse, if you do write in your Bibles, that's a very clear verse that gives us the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, the rest of chapter 1 is talking about how Jesus will make a new heavens and a new earth. In verse 10, um, he has laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thy hand. They all shall perish, but thou remainest. And they sh uh, all shall wax old as doth a garment and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. All of that is quoting scriptures. And so he is quoting the Old Testament scriptures. Now, yes, the New Testament is also scriptures. I, I, I wanted to make sure I told you that. Uh, Peter called Paul's writings scriptures. And Timothy, Paul said all scriptures is given by uh, inspiration. And, and so the New Testament that we have is also the scriptures. But back then they had the Old Testament uh, the right from. Um, so the angels also, we know that Jesus is better than the angels as far as his mediation. But also angels are created beings. They're ministering servants. They were created to serve the Lord. And we also see that uh, here in verse 14, are they not all ministering uh, spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So in chapter 2, it starts a call to faith. Now remember, Hebrews is full of doctrine and it's full of calls to action. Because of what I just said, we need to do this. Chapter 2 he says, with this information, that Jesus is God, he's eternal with God, he's the creator with God, and he will endure forever. He is going to be God forever because it's going to be Jesus that folds up everything you see and creates it all new again. Because of that, we ought to, in chapter 2, he says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we should let them slip. Now that means drift. And it's like uh, the, the picture, the visual there is like you're on a raft and you're drifting away. It's not the word, it's not Christ who's drifting. It's not the truth that's drifting, it's you drifting from the truth. 
One of the realities that we need to make sure that when we approach the Word of God and, and, and we understand there's a lot of easy believism out there. There's a lot of people who made a confession of faith when they were young or, or whatever, and they've not had a perseverance of faith. Nowhere does the Scripture say that an initial profession of faith or a belief is salvation unless it's followed by a perseverance of faith. That nowhere does the scripture say that you're saved just with an initial confession or initial. Jesus says to the Jews who believed him, the Jews who believed him, Jesus turned to them and he said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So nowhere does the Bible teach this easy believism that you do this, you, you one, two, three, repeat after me, uh, and you're baptized, but your heart is cold. You, you, you just go your own way. You're never convicted of the Holy Spirit. Um, there should be a perseverance in our lives. Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing to professed Jewish believers, okay? and some of them not. But they're wanting to go back into the Mosaic Law, whatever it could be or should, or I mean, whatever they're going through to do that, whether it's persecution or pressure from the family, whatever they're doing. And you know what's sad? You can almost see how in this early period of transition between the Old and the New Covenant, you can kind of see how they would be persuaded to, to stay in the traditions of things, the family tradition, like... Grandfather did, I mean, I was just doing this thing yesterday. <laughs> and you want me to now, you know, forsake the, the, all those things and then trust fully in Christ. So you can almost see uh, that, and we do see it. We, we see it, uh, the stronger and weaker brother. The, those who could not eat uh, meats offered the idols. And, and those who, you know, had a hard time receiving the Gentiles as also being saved. But isn't it sad? It's 2,000 years later and people are still slipping into Judaism. They're still slipping into legalism. They're still slip they profess Christ. And it's called Messianic Jew. You know, they're, they're, they profess Christ, but they're slipping into the customs and the traditions and the things of the Old Covenant, which Christ has fulfilled. This letter's for them today. So it's very relevant today. And it, it's beautiful to, to see it as God's people historically, uh, how they were writing to the Jews to forsake those things because Jesus has replaced it. Put all your faith. Like Again, you, you can't synergize works plus grace. You can't do it. Works are works. Grace is grace. And so... When it starts up in chapter 2, verse 1, remember who he's writing to. He's writing to those who have professed belief. Here's the thing. If you've professed belief in Jesus Christ, amen. But here's also a letter of encouragement to those who are truly saved to stand fast. Let us move on. Let us, let us stand fast. Let us hold fast our profession of Christ. And it's also a letter of warning that if you're missing these things in your life, you may not have a true profession of faith. So it's to both groups. And so I, I believe, so it, uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, that's the slip. 
Verse 2, if, if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? And there's that negligence of the word. It's not only are you drifting, you're allowing it. You, you just don't care. You're drifting from the word. Now, we see in verse 4 of chapter 2, the fact is that God has verified and certified verses 1, 2, and 3. God also bearing them witness, look at chapter 2, verse 4, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. What, what, had, what did God verify? What did God validate with miracles, signs, and wonders and the ministry of Jesus Christ? The claims of Jesus Christ. The chapter 1, verse 2 that in these last days, he's done speaking. He's only speaking through his son. He verified that with miracle signs and wonders. And the fact that God has appointed Jesus as heir of all things, he verified that with miracle signs and wonders. And not only that, but the apostles' teaching also had that. And then the fact that he made the world and the fact that he by himself has purged our sins once and for all, and he has sat down, he has risen again, and he sat down on the majesty on high as our great high faithful priest. God has verified all of that statement. And so that is what we see in chapter 2, verse 4. Let us hold fast to that profession. Don't let it slip. God has verified it. This is it. This is God ver I mean, this is the God of the last 6,000 years of all of Israel's history, of all of world history. All of it's accumulated and it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and it's Jesus Christ going forward. From this, I mean, it's, it's him going forward. None of the old things that we're picturing him are going forward. Nothing should proceed. Nothing should go forward before Christ. And so, now, imagine you writing this letter to the believing Jews who are still in their culture, who are still in those things. I mean, it's, it's quite an indictment, isn't it? Uh, fully trust in him. So, look at verse 10 of chapter 2. And I've always loved this verse, and if you know I love this verse. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of their salvation, perfect through sufferings. And we have defined that word captain as being the pioneer. Now, here in, in a little bit, we're going to see that he's also the author of our eternal salvation. It's a different word. Author is the creator. He's the creator of our salvation. But here, he's the pioneer. He has gone before. He's blazed the trail. He blazed the trail of the resurrection. He's blazed the trail of salvation. He's, and it says it was, he was made perfect or he was perfected or he was qualified through his sufferings to be the captain of our salvation. Nobody else in earth history or anybody who will ever come. The Old Testament things never 
uh, enabled man to be completely and fully and satisfactorily saved. Jesus is the true captain of our salvation. It's always been the blood of Jesus Christ through justification, imputed righteousness, and all of those things. But the one thing I love about verse 10 is it became him. That means it was, it was in his character to do it. What did Jesus do? What was in Jesus' character to do? Well, we just read it. He is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things by the word of his power. That's in Jesus' character. What else is in his character? That he cannot lie. That he loves righteousness, as it says in, in chapter 1, verse 9. Thou hast loved righteousness and have hated iniquity. This is in Jesus' character. Now, so it became him, so it's very appropriate for Jesus' character to be the very pioneer of our salvation. To be the, because he created our salvation. He went through and he accomplished our salvation. And he's also sustaining our salvation, just like he is everything else. Because that's him. <laughs> he, I mean, not only did he create everything, he sustains it all. And not only has he saved you, but he's sustaining you. Just as he is everything else. So the, it became him to do that thing. So I've always loved chapter 2, verse 10. And I love the fact that verse 11, the work. Now, like, like I said, the, the first seven chapters is going to be the work and the, the person of Jesus Christ. Chapter 7 verse, uh, through chapter 10 is going to be the, the work of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ. And considering Jesus' person and his work in chapter 10 and on is let us have faith. It's all faith. It's all practical. You know, that's the hall of faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Noah believed God. And, you know, it goes into the hall of faith. But understanding everything that, that Christ is, he's saying, he has sanctified us. He's the sanctifier of the sanctified in verse 11. All right, so he was perfect. He perfected his role through his sufferings. And, you know, the Bible talks about... Uh, the Old Testament, it talks about the 4,000 years before Christ, how it was a mystery. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 26, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, I mean, just a beautiful thing we see, uh, that period of the Old Testament, and how... The mystery, Jesus, when Jesus came in, all of that's revealed. You know, you use the New Testament to interpret the Old. You see the New Testament in the Old Testament concealed. And you see the Old Testament in the New Testament revealed. Because the mystery is, has been manifest. It's all in Christ. All of the whole thing is in Christ. And so, that is the idea. He is, in chapter 2... Verse 17, I mean, not only, it's just so, I, I hate to skip over it, but we need to just for time's sake. In chapter 2, verse 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them with 
that are tempted. That means help. And so Jesus is the sanctifier in verse 11. He's the reconciler in verse 18. And he's the sympathizer. And if you notice, it introduces him right here for the first time as our great high priest. And it's going to keep going. Chapter 3, verse uh, 1 through 19, the word talks about that Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. Um, look at verse 4 of chapter 3. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses was verily faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over. You notice Moses was a faithful servant in the house. Verse 6 says Christ is a son over his own house. Whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Um, obviously, I probably won't get a chance to go to the outline, but go to Hebrews chapter 10. This is the key verse. Hebrews chapter 10. And I wanted to bring out that verse. It says, Jesus is over his own house being the builder. But if you remember, I was saying that Hebrews is divided into two sections, the, pri the doctrinal and then the practical. And here is the transition between the two. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful, that promise. So do you, do you see the connection? This is basically Hebrews. Hebrews is an argument for Christ, and then it's an argument to keep believing Christ, to believe only in him, and endure through the pain. He's worth the cost that you would pay to profess him. Just endure through the profession of your faith. And notice that it also said that he was over his own house. And, and back in chapter 3 it says, and that house we are, if you hold fast to the profession of faith. So again, there, there's a lot of building Christ up to be the better, but there's also a lot of charges in here as well. Uh, now that we know these things, you should and you can completely believe him in all things. Uh, so he's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. Uh, he is the true rest. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us. I'm sorry, if you come back, you probably went to chapter 10. Come back to chapter 4, please. In verse 2, for, um, verse 1, Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them 
But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, prior, if you remember, he was talking about those in Israel who were wandering in the wilderness, whom God was not pleased with. They provoked God. They hardened their hearts. Uh, they tested God. They did not trust God. Um, so they were turning their backs. And what was the thing? The, the same word was preached unto them, and they heard it to enter into God's rest, but they did not mix it with faith. They, they did not have faith to do it. And so what happened uh, in verse 19, uh, chapter 3, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. All these wonderful promises of God, entering into God's rest, that's the true rest. Uh, it's not Canaan. Canaan it wasn't the true It was never the true rest. It was in the Lord. And if you look at chapter 4, verse 11, I know we're hopping around a lot. So what do we do? Let us... Labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Actually, look up at verse 9. There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. What was Judaism? It was works. It was obedience to the law, right? It was being a physical descendant of Abraham. And here he's saying, because God has ceased from his own works, in his rest, we also cease from ours. And we are saved by grace through faith. And so there's not righteousness that's gained by observing the law. There's no righteousness by doing what you're doing in your customs and, and um, your peculiarity and the, all the things which we're picturing Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Um, God is not pleased with those things. And the true rest is the fact that we rest in Him. It's not the Sabbath. That's not the true rest. The true rest is in the Lord. It's in Jesus Christ. And positionally in Jesus. Um, and because we've been sanctified by Jesus into God. So there's a call to faith. In chapter 4, enter into His rest. It's by faith. Who are those who did not go into God's rest? Those who are in unbelief. Who was it that God was angry with? Those who are in unbelief. Those who did not exercise simple faith in their life. They saw obstacles bigger than God 100% of the time. They saw things they wanted to do besides love the Lord 100% of the time. They, they have always put things in front of God 100% of the time. And God said he would swore in his wrath that they would not enter into his rest. And they didn't because of unbelief. But let us labor to enter into his rest. All works have ceased. So in chapter uh, 4, okay, look at chapter 4, verse 14. This is where it comes up. Because we're, in chapter 7, we're, we are going to bite down again on Melchizedek. And we need to see the significance of the priesthood. Okay? So in chapter 4, verse 14, he starts to bring up the priesthood again. It's a very important topic in Hebrews, the priesthood. Uh, 
Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Now, what was a priest? Uh, that's, and most of you know what a priest is, but think about what a priest is. A priest in the Old Testament. Even, actually, there's priests that are priests to pagan gods, right? There's priests, there's always been priests. Priests are those who intercede between God and man. God had chosen uh, the tribe of Levi out of Jacob to minister the priesthood. And it was the high priest was to be after the order of Aaron. Those were the ones who were to um, bring, they were to, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, represent. They, they were to represent man to God. And there they were the sacrifice for the sins of the people and their own sins. That was a priest. Okay? So that's the priest they're used to. The Jerusalem Jews, even if they're professing Jesus Christ, they look, there's an earthly priest here. It, here it says that in verse 14, we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. He's already rose and he's into the heavens. Let us hold fast our profession. Verse 15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That being touched with the feeling is sympathio, it's sympathetic of our uh, infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. There's that let us word again. Uh, it, just as much as better is used, let us is used. Okay, because of who he is, let us do this. In verse 16, let us therefore come boldly, that's confidently, unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Where is my priest? He's in heaven. That's, that, he's my priest. He's my great high priest. He's not here on earth. How do I access God? I access the very throne room of God. Because of Jesus Christ and his inter in interceding for me. So I can come boldly. That was, I mean, the people of Israel did not come boldly into the Holy of Holies. They would die. I mean, you had to be qualified. You had to be born of a certain tribe to do that. So in chapter 5, he keeps going. And he'll, he talks about the Levitical priesthood, the, the priesthood after Aaron in verses 1 and, through 4. Then in verses 5 through 10, he starts talking about Jesus' priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And he compared those two. Um, in verse, look at verse 11. Um, actually, chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation. Remember how before we saw he was the captain of our salvation? This is a different word. Author of eternal salvation. That author is indeed the creator. Unto all them that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, okay. Well, you know what? That actually gets us to a good place. I think we've gotten our engines warmed up. Uh, we've come back. Uh, like I said, it's been a month since we've been in Hebrews. I feel like um, we really needed to kind of warm up again and understand how it's all connected. 
There's so much truth in Hebrews, but the pillars, the, the columns that support the truth, which it declares, it's all throughout it. it. It's not just what we've already read. It's going to be in what we're going to read. We're going to read the, uh, pretty much a lot of supporting truth of the priesthood of Melchizedek and who he was and how Jesus is not a priest after the order of Aaron uh, because that was temporary and not permanent. The priesthood after the order of Melchizedek, he had no father, no mother, no lineage. He had no beginning, no end. But he was a regular man, wasn't he? Yes. But it wasn't recorded that Melchizedek had any of these. Melchizedek was the great high priest of God, of the Most High, outside of Abraham. Okay? He was the, most, he was the priest of the Most High, and he blessed Abraham and we're going to look at the significance of Melchizedek next week. How important it is, because he spends a couple chapters on Melchizedek. Well, I pray the Lord has richly blessed you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of study as we go back through your word and we see just the eternal truth. Father, we're just what glory and grace you give us in the, the brightness and the finished work of Jesus Christ and Father, how we can have full faith and hope and trust in the anchor of our soul. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you give us. We thank you for your blessings. Thank you, Father, for always providing, always being faithful to your promises. Father, thank you for sustaining our hope and salvation. And Father, even the hope we have in the resurrection. All these things, Father, we know that uh, you are faithful. And Lord, may we just leave this place just knowing it's been good to be here and be refreshed in your word and energized by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, and, and we do pray your traveling grace upon those who are here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.